To understand the conflict in Lebanon, you have to look at it as a region rather than a country with firm borders. It's a battleground between Israel, Iran and Syria. Irish troops have a long history of peacekeeping in the region, taking part in the UN's mission UNIFIL to protect the Lebanese after they were invaded by Israel. UNIFIL is a complex operation. It is, of all UN missions, the one that has suffered the most losses in terms of fatalities. Some of them Irish, as you will know. Sadly, 48 Irish soldiers have died. Most recently, 23-year-old Private Sean Rooney, who was laid to rest yesterday. He was killed and three others wounded when their Unifil vehicle came under fire from an angry mob. It should have been a standard run like this one of Irish soldiers travelling from their base in southern Lebanon up to Beirut until tragedy struck. But why would they be the target of gunfire in a community they were trying to protect? I'm Aideen Finnegan and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, is the threat faced by Irish peacekeepers in Lebanon growing? I'm joined by Conor Gallagher, crime and security correspondent with the Irish Times, and Dan Harvey, who is a retired lieutenant colonel with the Irish Defence Forces. He's also a military historian and author. You're both very welcome to the podcast. Conor, can I start with you? It's been just over a week since Private Sean Rooney was murdered in an ambush in Lebanon. Details were obviously thin on the ground then. What has emerged now from this remove? Well, I I suppose a lot of the questions remain unanswered. Um, But we do know a little bit more about what happened on that terrible night uh, uh, late on on Wednesday in this uh, small coastal village just north of the Unifil area of operations. Sean Rooney and his colleagues were in a two-car convoy or two-vehicle convoy of a uh, armoured utility vehicles, which are essentially jeep, four-by-four four jeeps with armour plating and bulletproof glass. And they, are they labelled with the UN or the, Unifil? Yeah, white, right. white okay. vehicles with the UN logo, as you would, you know, but you picture in your mind, okay. exactly the same. They were on a convoy to the main route, the normal route to Beirut, and they were dropping two guys up to the airport. These guys were going home on a compassionate leave. They'd had uh, debts in their uh, extended family. Uh, so very routine, but for some reason, and this is one of the parts we don't know, uh, Private Rooney's vehicle got separated from the other vehicle and uh, diverted into this town where it seems like it was surrounded by uh, a very angry mob, including people and some vehicles. They were, uh, one of them, it seems, opened the tailgate of the vehicle during that encounter. Before, What does that mean? Literally just the back of the... The, the back, yeah, the hatch at the back okay. of, the, of the Jeep, it seems. And... Um, Tensions grew heightened. Private Rooney's vehicle took evasive action as they would be trained to do, kind of backed out and then sped off past the group. And it seems an, an, at least one other vehicle gave chase and two gunmen opened fire as it was driving away. The vehicle then crashed. More shots were fired. It seems the fatal shots were fired through that rear open tailgate. About at least 25 uh, shots were actually fired at the vehicle, but the bulletproof glass and the armour plate held up for the most part, so it seems the the fatal rounds which hit Private Rooney went through the, the, the back of the vehicle. We don't know if that happened 
after they crashed or uh, immediately before. But the tragic end result was a Private Rooney was was killed. Uh, his colleague trooper uh, Shane Kearney suffered severe head injuries. Uh, he wasn't shot. He suffered severe head injuries in the uh, in the crash. And uh, two other Irish troops in the vehicle suffered more minor injuries. They've thankfully uh, largely recovered and or at least have been discharged from, from hospital. So the next question is, who is behind this? Yes, who would want to target peacekeeping troops? Let's have a quick look at what UNIFIL is. It stands for United Nations Interim Force in Lebanon. Except it's not very interim. Different iterations have been in the country since it was established in 1978. In 1982, Irish soldiers were taking part in the mission to keep the peace as Israel withdrew after invading Lebanon. As professional soldiers, we have a mission to accomplish in South Lebanon as peacekeepers. It is our task to see the implementation of Resolution 425. UNIFIL's original aims, or mandate, was to confirm the withdrawal of the Israeli army, check, restore international peace and security, well, obviously, that's a work in progress. And assist the government of Lebanon in ensuring the rule of law returned to this area. But Beirut never managed that, which is why Hezbollah and the Amal movement hold so much sway in 2022. Hezbollah has been ratcheting up the rhetoric against UNIFIL in recent times. Um, why? So there was a new mandate uh, earlier this year, which kind of, and it, it kind of reaffirmed UNIFIL's freedom of movement and freedom to move without an escort from the Lebanese armed forces. And Hezbollah said this was an infringement of Lebanese sovereignty, even though they've been allowed to do this for for quite a while, as I understand it. Um, But it's also because Hezbollah are getting ready for the next war, people believe. And Dan will probably be able to talk to you about this. You know, they're preparing the ground. They see war with Israel as inevitable. And Israel sees wars with Hezbollah as inevitable. Um, so they don't want UNIFIL driving around and spotting maybe where they're digging tunnels or installing fire and ranges or ro- rocket positions. Mm-hmm. They believe that UNIFIL is, is a, an intelligence gathering operation for Israel or for America. Um, and that belief has filtered down into some of the locals. So the question is, were these locals incited by Hezbollah? Was there some other reason? Or was Hezbollah... You know, were these two gunmen under direct control of Hezbollah? So that's one of the, the questions that will have to be asked over the coming weeks. OK, so there's three investigations. There's the Irish investigation, the Lebanese, and then a, a UN inquiry. So that'll be three. I assume they'll be cross-checked for consistency or indeed any inconsistencies. Is there a timeline for those inquiries? No, no timeline. Um, so the Lebanese investigation has been led by the Lebanese Armed Forces. They are taking the lead. They've already done the forensics and the post-mortem has been performed on Private Rooney's remains um, and they've taken forensic reports and ballistic reports. You know, there's... Some people have raised questions over how effective the investigation is going to be. Considering the, the, the complex relationship between Lebanese armed forces in the South and Hezbollah, you know, Lebanese armed forces are established in the South, but under some people's view would be they're there with the permission of Hezbollah. So their independence from Hezbollah might be questions in some sectors. Then you've got the Irish Defence Forces investigation, which has been assisted by two, or three Gardaí, uh, two 
detectives and a ballistics expert and a legal officer and some military police have gone over to assist that. And then you've got the UN investigation. So there will be a lot of cooperation between, the uh, obviously, the UN and the Irish investigation. It remains to be seen how much cooperation will be between the Lebanese investigation. I reported the Irish uh, officials have requested both a point of contact with the Lebanese Armed Forces and have requested these forensic and uh, ballistic reports uh, for their for their purposes. Dan, Connor mentioned Hezbollah and the Amal movement. Who were these groups? These would be the mainly uh, Muslim groups, Hezbollah, otherwise known as the translation is the party of God. Amal means hope. In the Shia Muslim heartlands along Lebanon's eastern frontier with Syria, the party of God is on the march. Yellow is Hezbollah, a martyrdom project inspired by Iran's Ayatollahs. To the Western world, they are terrorists. They are the most potent political and military force in Lebanon. They're highly secret. But I suppose maybe I, I should just say that uh, I did three tours to South Lebanon, two of them as a military police officer, and I have conducted investigations uh, into fatalities. The curious thing about peacekeeping, it's a very complicated role, and it has been said of uh, peacekeepers that it's not a job for soldiers, but it's only soldiers can do it. Because once the UN Security Council grants a mandate, it's assuming that they have the agreement of the parties, and not only the agreement of the parties, but the cooperation of the parties involved. You may find yourself as a soldier part of a peacekeeping unit on the ground in the area of conflict and you find, in fact, there's no peace to be kept. Hezbollah have fought recently to maintain the presidency in Syria. They have become very proficient at the military tasks and very sophisticated. So they understand what it takes to fight a war. In the regional perspective and in the local perspective, the mood on the ground is bracing itself for war. Connor, I assume the mood on the ground as well is influenced by the overall context, which is that now I, I know the word failed state gets bandied around a lot, but in the case of Lebanon, it seems to be an apt description. Life is a daily struggle. Food, fuel and medicine are unaffordable and over half the country is below the poverty line and consistent financial mismanagement by the ruling elite dragged the country deeper and deeper into debt. Lebanon's economic collapse has been ranked amongst the world's worst since the 1800s by the World Bank. Since 2019, the Lebanese pound has lost more than 90% of its value. I mean, the country's in a state of total collapse. They're, they're, they don't have a functioning banking system. This woman is robbing a bank, but the money she's demanding is from her own account. For three years, Lebanese have watched helpless. Inflation is through the roof. I mean, what's it like for ordinary civilians there? Uh, I, I was talking to a couple of uh, guys who uh, recently completed tours of Lebanon over the last uh, one or two years since the economic situation has gotten really bad. And they say Hezbollah has managed to capitalise on this in the south uh, by opening up their own banks. They're more like credit unions, opening up their own kind of grocery uh, shops 
and even importing their own fuel from Iran, which they've been known to give away free to local people because fuel shortages are are, are, are one of the main problems there. People often can't get enough fuel to, to drive their cars. So Hezbollah has been able to take advantage of that economic situation with huge support from Iran, not just military support, but this kind of um, food and, and provisions to greatly increase their influence even more than it was. And Hezbollah is kind of ideologically aligned with Iran, isn't it? Oh, very much so, yeah. I mean, they're, 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 they're agents of Iran, to put it charitably, yeah. And so Hezbollah is obviously a political party as well as, you know, having a militia wing. Where does the government and the caretaker government in Beirut come in in terms of trying to control the situation? Or do they want to? Or do they kind of speak out of both sides of their mouth? Because obviously they would be afraid of the threat from Israel too. I do know that there is, since 2006, there's been a, there was an amnesty in 2006, not a million miles away from what we had uh, after the Good Friday Agreement in Ireland. And, you know, a lot of people who'd done some pretty terrible things were released. And since then, there's been an almost reluctance to prosecute cases that might have a political angle um, for fear of upsetting the apple cart and and upsetting this very fragile arrangement that they have uh, going on there, Uh, which is one of the reasons why some people might be a little bit sceptical of this, uh, the Lebanese investigation into Private Rooney's death bearing fruit. Coming up... Could Irish Unifil troops find themselves going from peacekeeping to peace enforcement or worse? Dan, what was South Lebanon like when you were there? I mentioned previously I was there three times. And between the first and the second tour, was two years. And there were checkpoints which I defended with my troops, my platoon, and there were villages which we protected. That when you went back two years later, there was no issue with them because the situation had evolved and moved on. Why did the villages need protecting, Dan? Because of the Israeli militias that were doing the bidding of the Israelis, taking out potential opposition to them because the resistance was growing and the Amal and Hezbollah were coming south and they had their sympathizers. So Israel had become the occupiers and uh, it's not unlike the black and tans going to villages here in Ireland. It's the same oppressive sense that, that was ongoing. And fortunately, Lebanon had the benefit of having Unifil. If Unifil was protecting villages from Israeli militias who would have been seen as the enemy. When did the focus of ire then turn on Unifil and why? Uh, Well, you're as a peacekeeping force, as a classical peacekeeping force, you're interposed, as we say, you're in between the two protagonists and your job is to try and calm the situation and stabilise the situation. And by and large, Unifil, for all its criticism and all its faults, was largely successful in that. And it did stabilise many situations and did save lives and helped normalise the lives of the normal people. So so what else is raising the temperature there now? The other destabilising influence is, of course, the war in Syria. And there's been over a million Syrian refugees have come into Lebanon. 
they're in camps, but they're not being supported. And the Lebanese government is afraid that they will destabilize their hold on power. They're afraid now that the Syrians' refugees will have an undue influence on the balance of power in Lebanon. So there's a lot of competing influences at play. But sometimes in peacekeeping missions, in effect, the hostility gets so intense, it turns into a peace enforcement mission. And indeed, the Irish have experienced uh, even it being ratcheted up to war fighting, as happened in the Congo, uh, in the Battle of the Tunnel, and you saw about the Battle of Jadaville, where they had to revert to almost conventional war fighting. And indeed, it happened in Lebanon in 1981 at what's known as the Battle of Atiri. So when you go in, you, you, you play the peacekeeping card, and as I mentioned, the Irish are very good at it, but you must be prepared for a quick, unpredictable ratcheting up of hostilities. And sometimes they can come out of the blue. And this, unfortunately, uh, the recent incident is one such, and uh, it can catch you off guard. It sounds like the situation is only going to become more tense and more dangerous for Irish peacekeeping troops over in Lebanon. Connor, how, how many soldiers have we lost there? Private Rooney's death brings it to 48, which would make it by far the most deadly mission uh, for Irish peacekeepers abroad. I think uh, second place would be the our first big mission in Congo in, in the early 60s. And, and Dan said this to me last week, and I was really startled by it. Uh, 47 deaths over the course of 23 years, to the extent that it was on average once every six months, so one, once every deployment on average. So there's a whole generation now, who, you know, born since 2001, who have never heard of a, an Irish peacekeeper dying in combat uh, overseas. You know, we've had a few tragic deaths. Um, Derek Mooney was an army ranger who died in a car crash in a, a mission in uh, Mali in 2003, I believe. There's been a, a handful of other deaths related to illness, but deaths in combat were, you know, until last week, a thing of the past. I suppose the worry is now that with the increasingly tense situation in Lebanon, are we facing into a, a new period of, um, of violence and danger to our troops? You know, and, and that's something Irish troops are prepared for. You know, it's they go over there knowing it's a, a dangerous mission. But it, it, it's also maybe reawakened some questions that are, are, what are we doing there in the first place? Before we were there, with, but both people wanted us there, or at least the Lebanese people wanted us there. But if they don't want us there, could our troops, our very limited number of troops, would they be better served in another mission? The government certainly wouldn't want to be seen to be pulling out. In the wake of this, it might show a lack of resolve, but it has. Uh, there are some people quietly asking those questions. Conor Gallagher and Dan Harvey, thanks very much for joining us. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan, Declan Conlon and myself, Aideen Finnegan. We'll be back in the new year.